Part three, first section of chapter fifty six of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Old and New Tables. One. Here do I sit and wait. Old broken tables around me, and also new half written tables. When cometh mine hour? the hour of my descent, of my down-going, for once more will I go unto men. For that hour do I now wait. For first must the signs come unto me that it is mine hour, namely the laughing lion with the flock of doves. Meanwhile do I talk to myself as one who hath time. No one telleth me anything new, so I tell myself mine own story. 2. When I came unto men, then found I them resting on an old infatuation. All of them thought they had long known what was good and bad for men. An old wearisome business seemed to them all discourse about virtue, and he who wished to sleep well spake of good and bad ere retiring to rest. This somnolence did I disturb when I taught that no one yet knoweth what is good and bad, unless it be the creating one. It is he, however, who createth man's goal, and giveth to the earth its meaning and its future. He only affecteth it that aught is good or bad and i bade them upset their old academic chairs and wherever that old infatuation had sat i bade them laugh at their great moralists their saints their poets and their saviors at their gloomy sages did i bid them laugh and whoever had sat admonishing as a black scarecrow on the tree of life on their great grave highway did i seat myself and even beside the carrion and vultures, and I laughed at all their bygone and its mellow decaying glory. Verily, like penitential preachers and fools did I cry wrath and shame on all their greatness and smallness. Oh, that their best is so very small! Oh, that their worst is so very small! Thus did I laugh. Thus did my wise longing, born in the mountains, cry and laugh in me. A wild wisdom, verily, my great pinion-rustling longing. And oft did it carry me off and up and away and in the midst of laughter. Then flew I quivering like an arrow with sun-intoxicated rapture. Out into distant futures, which no dream hath yet seen, into warmer souths than ever sculptor conceived, where gods in their dancing are ashamed of all clothes, that I may speak in parables and halt and stammer like the poets. And verily I am ashamed that I have still to be a poet, where all becoming seem to me dancing of gods and wantoning of gods, and the world unloosed and unbridled and fleeing back to itself, as an eternal self-fleeing 
and reseeking of one another of many gods as the blessed self-contradicting recommuning and refraternizing with one another of many gods where all time seemed to me a blessed mockery of moments where necessity was freedom itself which played happily with the goad of freedom where i also found again mine old devil and arch-enemy the spirit of gravity and all that it created constraint law necessity and consequence and purpose and will and good and evil for must there not be that which is danced over danced beyond must there not for the sake of the nimble the nimblest be moles and clumsy dwarfs three there was it also where i picked up from the path of the word superman and that man is something that must be surpassed that man is a bridge and not a goal rejoicing over his noontides and evenings as advances to new rosy dawns the zarathustra word of the great noontide and whatever else i have hung up over men like purple evening afterglows verily also new stars did i make them see along with new nights and over cloud and day and night did i spread out laughter like a gay-coloured canopy i taught them all my poetization and aspiration to compose and collect into unity what is fragment in man and riddle and fearful chance as composer riddle reader and redeemer of chance did i teach them to create the future and all that hath been to redeem by creating the past of man to redeem and every it was to transform until the will saith but so did i will it so shall i will it this did i call redemption this alone taught i them to call redemption now do i await my redemption that i may go unto them for the last time for once more i will go unto men amongst them will my son set in dying will i give them my choicest gift from the sun did i learn this when it goeth down the exuberant one gold doth it then pour into the sea out of inexhaustible riches so that the poorest fisherman roweth even with golden oars for this did i once see and did not tire of weeping and beholding it like the sun will also zarathustra go down now sitteth he here and waiteth old broken tables around him and also new tables half written four behold here is a new table but where are my brethren who will carry it with me to the valley and into the hearts of flesh thus demandeth my great love to the remotest ones be not considerate of thy neighbor man is something that must be surpassed there are many diverse ways and modes of surpassing see thou thereto but only a buffoon thinketh men can also be overleapt 
surpass thyself even in thy neighbor, and the right which thou canst seize upon shalt thou not allow to be given thee. What thou doest can no one do to thee again. Lo, there is no requital. He who cannot command himself shall obey. And many a one can command himself, but still sorely lacketh self-obedience. 5. Thus wisheth the type of noble souls. They desire to have nothing gratuitously, least of all life. He who is of the populace wisheth to live gratuitously. We others, however, to whom life hath given itself, we are ever considering what we can best give in return. And verily it is a noble dictum which saith, What life promiseth us, that promise we will keep to life. One should not wish to enjoy where one doth not contribute to the enjoyment, and one should not wish to enjoy. For enjoyment and innocence are the most bashful things. Neither like to be sought for. One should have them, but one should rather seek for guilt and pain. 6. O oh, my brethren, he who is a firstling is ever sacrificed. Now, however, are we firstlings? We all bleed on secret sacrificial altars. We all burn and broil in honor of ancient idols. Our best is still young. This exciteth old palates. Our flesh is tender. Our skin is only lamb's skin. How could we not excite old idol priests? In ourselves dwelleth he still, the old idol priest, who broileth our best for his banquet. Ah, my brethren, how could firstlings fail to be sacrifices? But so wisheth our type, and I love those who do not wish to preserve themselves. The down-going ones do I love with mine entire love, for they go beyond. 7. To be true that can few be, and he who can will not. Least of all, however, can the good be true. Oh, those good ones! Good men never speak the truth, for the spirit thus to be good is a malady. They yield, those good ones. They submit themselves. Their heart repeateth, their soul obeyeth. He, however, who obeyeth, doth not listen to himself. All that is called evil by the good must come together in order that one truth may be born. O oh, my brethren, are ye also evil enough for this truth? The daring venture, the prolonged distrust, the cruel nay, the tedium, the cutting into the quick, how seldom do these come together. Out of such seed, however, is truth produced. 
beside the bad conscience hath hitherto grown up all knowledge break up break up ye discerning ones the old tables eight when the water hath planks when gangways and railings o'erspan the stream verily he is not believed who then saith all is in flux but even the simpletons contradict him what say the simpletons all in flux the planks and railings are still over the stream over the stream all is stable all the values of things the bridges and bearings all good and evil these are all stable cometh however the hard winter the stream tamer then learn even the wittiest distrust and verily not only the simpletons then say should not everything stand still fundamentally standeth everything still that is an appropriate winter doctrine good cheer for an unproductive period a great comfort for winter sleepers and fireside loungers fundamentally standeth everything still but contrary thereto preacheth the thawing wind the thawing wind a bullock which is no ploughing bullock a furious bullock a destroyer which with angry horns breaketh the ice the ice however breaketh gangways oh my brethren is not everything at present in flux have not all railings and gangways fallen into the water who would still hold on to good and evil woe to us hail to us the thawing wind bloweth thus preach my brethren through all the streets nine there is an old illusion it is called good and evil around soothsayers and astrologers hath hitherto revolved the orbit of this illusion once did one believe in soothsayers and astrologers and therefore did one believe everything is fate thou shalt for thou must then again did one distrust all soothsayers and astrologers and therefore did one believe everything is freedom thou canst for thou willest oh my brethren concerning the stars and the future there hath hitherto been only illusion and not knowledge and therefore concerning good and evil there hath hitherto been only illusion and not knowledge Ten. thou shalt not rob thou shalt not slay such precepts were once called holy before them did one bow the knee and the head and take off one's shoes but i ask you where have there ever been better robbers and slayers in the world than such holy precepts is there not even in all life robbing and slaying 
and for such precepts to be called holy, was not truth itself thereby slain? Or was it a sermon of death that called holy what contradicted and dissuaded from life? Oh, my brethren, break up, break up for me the old tables. 11. It is my sympathy with all the past that I see it is abandoned. Abandoned to the favor, the spirit, and the madness of every generation that cometh, and reinterpreteth all that hath been as its bridge. A great potentate might arise, an artful prodigy, who with approval and disapproval could strain and constrain all the past, until it became for him a bridge, a harbinger, a herald, and a cock-crowing. This, however, is the other danger, and mine other sympathy. He who is of the populace, his thoughts go back to his grandfather. With his grandfather, however, doth time cease. Thus is all the past abandoned, for it might some day happen for the populace to become master, and drown all time in shallow waters. Therefore, O oh my brethren, a new nobility is needed, which shall be the adversary of all populace and potentate rule, and shall inscribe anew the word noble on new tables. For many noble ones are needed, and many kinds of noble ones, for a new nobility. Or, as I once said in parable, that is just divinity, that there are gods but no god. 12. O oh, my brethren, I consecrate you and point you to a new nobility. Ye shall become procreators and cultivators and sowers of the future. Verily, not to a nobility which she could purchase like traders with traders' gold, for little worth is all that hath its price. Let it not be your honor henceforth whence ye come, but whither ye go. Your will and your feet which seek to surpass you, let these be your new honor. Verily, not that ye have served a prince, of what account are princes now? Nor that ye have become a bulwark to that which standeth, that it may stand more firmly. Not that your family have become courtly at courts, and that ye have learned, gay-colored like the flamingo, to stand long hours in shallow pools. For ability to stand is a merit in courtiers, and all courtiers believe that unto blessedness after death pertaineth permission to sit. Nor even that a spirit called holy led your forefathers into promised lands which I do not praise. For where the worst of all trees grew, the cross, in that land there is nothing to praise. And verily, wherever this holy spirit led its knights, always in such campaigns did goats and geese and ryeheads and guyheads run foremost. Oh, my brethren, 
not backward shall your nobility gaze but outward exiles shall ye be from all fatherlands and forefatherlands your children's land shall ye love let this love be your new nobility the undiscovered in the remotest seas for it do i bid your sails search and search unto your children shall ye make amends for being the children of your fathers all the past shall ye thus redeem this new table do i place over you thirteen why should one live all is vain to live that is to thrash straw to live that is to burn oneself and yet not get warm such ancient babbling still passeth for wisdom because it is old however and smelleth mustily therefore is it the more honoured even mould ennobleth children might thus speak they shun the fire because it hath burnt them there is much childishness in the old books of wisdom and he who ever thrasheth straw why should he be allowed to rail at thrashing such a fool one would have to muzzle such persons sit down to the table and bring nothing with them not even hunger and then do they rail all is vain but to eat and drink well my brethren is verily no vain art break up break up for me the tables of the never joyous ones fourteen to the clean are all things clean thus say the people i however say unto you to the swine all things become swinish therefore preach the visionaries and bowed heads whose hearts are also bowed down the world itself is a filthy monster for these are all unclean spirits especially those however who have no peace or rest unless they see the world from the backside the backworldsmen to those do i say it to the face although it sound unpleasantly the world resembleth man in that it hath a backside so much is true there is in the world much filth so much is true but the world itself is not therefore a filthy monster there is wisdom in the fact that much in the world smelleth badly loathing itself createth wings and fountain divining powers in the best there is still something to loathe and the best is still something that must be surpassed oh my brethren there is much wisdom in the fact that much filth is in the world fifteen such sayings did i hear pious backworldsmen speak to their consciences and verily without wickedness or guile although there is nothing more guileful in the world or more wicked let the world be as it is raise not a finger against it let whoever will choke and stab and skin and scrape the people raise not a finger against it 
thereby will they learn to renounce the world and thine own reason this shalt thou thyself stifle and choke for it is a reason of this world thereby wilt thou learn thyself to renounce the world shatter shatter o my brethren those old tables of the pious tatter the maxims of the world maligners sixteen he who learneth much unlearneth all violent cravings that do people now whisper to one another in all the dark lanes wisdom wearieth nothing is worth while thou shalt not crave this new table found i hanging even in the public markets break up for me o oh my brethren break up also that new table the weary of the world put it up and the preachers of death and the jailer for lo it is also a sermon for slavery because they learned badly and not the best and everything too early and everything too fast because they ate badly from thence hath resulted their ruined stomach for a ruined stomach is their spirit it persuadeth to death for verily my brethren the spirit is a stomach life is a well of delight but to him in whom the ruined stomach speaketh the father of affliction all fountains are poisoned to discern that is delight to the lion-willed but he who hath become weary is himself merely willed with him play all the waves and such is always the nature of weak men they lose themselves on their way and at last asketh their weariness why did we ever go on the way all is indifferent to them soundeth it pleasant to have preached in their ears nothing is worth while ye shall not will that however is a sermon for slavery o oh, my brethren a fresh blustering wind cometh zarathustra unto all way-weary ones many noses will he yet make sneeze even through walls bloweth my free breath and in into prisons and imprisoned spirits willing emancipateth for willing is creating so do i teach and only for creating shall ye learn and also the learning shall ye learn only from me the learning well he who hath ears let him hear seventeen there standeth the boat thither goeth it over perhaps into vast nothingness but who willeth to enter into this perhaps none of you want to enter into the death-boat how should ye then be world-weary ones world-weary ones and have not even withdrawn from the earth eager did i ever find you for the earth amorous still of your own earth weariness not in vain doth your lip hang down 
a small worldly wish still sitteth thereon and in your eye floateth there not a cloudlet of unforgotten earthly bliss there are on the earth many good inventions some useful some pleasant for their sake is the earth to be loved and many such good inventions are there that they are like woman's breasts useful at the same time and pleasant ye world-weary ones however ye earth idlers you shall one beat with stripes with stripes shall one again make you sprightly limbs for if ye be not invalids or decrepit creatures of whom the earth is weary then are ye sly sloths or dainty sneaking pleasure cats and if ye will not again run gaily then shall ye pass away to the incurable shall one not seek to be a physician thus teacheth zarathustra so shall ye pass away but more courage is needed to make an end than to make a new verse that do all physicians and poets know well eighteen o my brethren there are tables which weariness framed and tables which slothfulness framed corrupt slothfulness although they speak similarly they want to be heard differently see this languishing one only a span breadth is he from his goal but from weariness hath he lain down obstinately in the dust this brave one from weariness yawneth he at the path at the earth at the goal and at himself not a step further will he go this brave one now gloweth the sun upon him and the dogs lick at his sweat but he lieth there in his obstinacy and prefereth to languish a span breadth from his goal to languish verily ye will have to drag him into his heaven by the hair of his head this hero better still that ye let him lie where he hath lain down that sleep may come unto him the comforter with cooling patter rain let him lie until of his own accord he awakeneth until of his own accord he repudiateth all weariness and what weariness hath taught through him only my brethren see that ye scare the dogs away from him the idle skulkers and all the swarming vermin all the swarming vermin of the cultured that feast on the sweat of every hero nineteen i form circles around me and holy boundaries ever fewer ascend with me ever higher mountains i build a mountain range out of ever holier mountains but wherever ye would ascend with me o my brethren take care lest a parasite ascend with you a parasite that is a reptile a creeping cringing reptile that trieth to fatten on your infirm and sore places and this is its art it divineth where ascending souls are weary in your trouble and dejection 
in your sensitive modesty, doth it build its loathsome nest. Where the strong are weak, where the noble are all too gentle, there buildeth it its loathsome nest. The parasite liveth where the great have small sore places. What is the highest of all species of being, and what is the lowest? The parasite is the lowest species. He, however, who is of the highest species, feedeth most parasites. For the soul which hath the longest latter, and can go deepest down, how could there fail to be most parasites upon it? The most comprehensive soul, which can run and stray and rove furthest in itself, the most necessary soul which out of joy flingeth itself into chance, the soul in being, which plungeth into becoming, the possessing soul which seeketh to attain desire and longing, the soul fleeing from itself, which overtaketh itself in the widest circuit, the wisest soul unto which folly speaketh most sweetly, the soul most self-loving, in which all things have their current and countercurrent, their ebb and their flow. Oh, how could the loftiest soul fail to have the worst parasites? Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici Paragraph 2 Nietzsche himself declares this to be the most decisive portion of the whole of Thus Spake Zarathustra. It is a sort of epitome of his leading doctrines. In verse 12 of the second paragraph, we learn how he himself would fain have abandoned the poetical method of expression, had he not known only too well that the only chance a new doctrine has of surviving nowadays, depends upon its being given to the world in some kind of art form. Just as prophets, centuries ago, often had to have recourse to the mask of madness in order to mitigate the hatred of those who did not and could not see as they did, so today the struggle for existence among opinions and values is so great that an art form is practically the only garb in which a new philosophy can dare to introduce itself to us. Paragraphs 3 and 4 Many of the paragraphs will be found to be merely reminiscent of former discourses. For instance, paragraph 3 recalls redemption. The last verse of paragraph 4 is important. Freedom, which, as I have pointed out before, Nietzsche considered a dangerous acquisition in inexperienced or unworthy hands, here receives its death-blow as a general desideratum. In the first part, we read under The Way of the Creating One that freedom as an end in itself does not concern Zarathustra at all. He says there, quote, Free from what? What doth that matter to Zarathustra? Clearly, however, shall thine eye answer me. Free for what? End quote. And in the bedwarfing virtue, quote, Ah, that she understood my word. Do ever what she will, but first be such as can will.
End quote. Paragraph 5. Here we have a description of the kind of altruism Nietzsche exacted from higher men. It is really a comment upon the bestowing virtue. See note on chapter 22. Paragraph 6. This refers, of course, to the reception pioneers of Nietzsche's stamp meet with at the hands of their contemporaries. Paragraph 8. Nietzsche teaches that nothing is stable, not even values, not even the concepts good and evil. He likens life unto a stream, but footbridges and railings span the stream and they seem to stand firm. Many will be reminded of good and evil when they look upon these structures, for thus these same values stand over the stream of life and life flows on beneath them and leaves them standing. When, however, winter comes and the stream gets frozen, many inquire, quote, Should not everything stand still? Fundamentally, everything standeth still. End quote. But soon the spring cometh, and with it the thaw wind. It breaks the ice, and the ice breaks down the footbridges and railings, whereupon everything is swept away. This state of affairs, according to Nietzsche, has now been reached, quote, Oh, my brethren, is not everything at present in flux? Have not all railings and footbridges fallen into the water? Who would still hold on to good and evil? End quote. Paragraph 9. This is complementary to the first three verses of paragraph 2. Paragraph 10. So far, this is perhaps the most important paragraph. It is a protest against reading a moral order of things in life. Quote, life is something essentially immoral. End quote. Nietzsche tells us in the introduction to the birth of tragedy. Even to call life activity, or to define it further as, quote, the continuous adjustment of internal relations to external relations, end quote, as Spencer has it, Nietzsche characterizes as a democratic idiosyncrasy. He says to define it in this way, quote, is to mistake the true nature and function of life, which is will to power. Life is essentially appropriation, injury, conquest of the strange and weak, suppression, severity, obtrusion of its own forms, incorporation, and at least, putting it mildest, exploitation. End quote. Adaptation is merely a secondary activity, a mere reactivity. See note on chapter 57. Paragraphs 11 and 12. These deal with Nietzsche's principle of the desirability of rearing a select race. The biological and historical grounds for his insistence upon this principle are, of course, manifold. Gobineau, in his great work, L'Engalité de Race Humaine, lays strong emphasis upon the evils which arise from promiscuous and intersocial marriages. He alone would suffice to carry Nietzsche's point against all those who are opposed to the other conditions, to the conditions which would have saved Rome, which have maintained the strength of the Jewish race, 
and which are strictly maintained by every breeder of animals throughout the world. Darwin, in his remarks relative to the degeneration of cultivated types of animals, through the action of promiscuous breeding, brings Gobineau's support from the realm of biology. The last two verses of paragraph 12 were discussed in the notes on chapters 36 and 53. Paragraph 13. This, like the first part of The Soothsayer, is obviously a reference to the Schopenhauerian pessimism. Paragraphs 14, 15, 16, and 17. These are supplementary to the discourse Backworldsmen. Paragraph 18. We must be careful to separate this paragraph in sense from the previous four paragraphs. Nietzsche is still dealing with pessimism here, but it is the pessimism of the hero, the man most susceptible of all to desperate views of life, owing to the obstacles that are arrayed against him in a world where men of his kind are very rare, and are continually being sacrificed. It was to save this man that Nietzsche wrote, heroism foiled, thwarted, and wrecked, hoping and fighting until the last is at length overtaken by despair and renounces all struggle for sleep. This is not the natural or constitutional pessimism which proceeds from an unhealthy body, the dyspeptic's lack of appetite. It is rather the desperation of the netted lion that ultimately stops all movement, because the more it moves, the more involved it becomes. End of part three, section one of chapter fifty six. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.